Good Monday, everyone. How are you? I'm Jeremy Birmingham. That's Bill Landis. This is the podcast. Bill, no Buckeye football this weekend, which means you and I, maybe Austin, probably not. He was probably watching F1 or golfing or something. But the people that like football were watching it um, this weekend. And I, for one, just want to say, I don't know if there is some actual functional college football deity out there, but if there is, I'd like to say thank you to that deity for giving me a chance to watch games this weekend because it really felt good to watch just crazy good football all day long. It felt great. Um, also felt nice to, to sprinkle in a nice win for our Phillies. I know you're a big Phillies fan like yeah, I am. Yeah, huge Phillies guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I liked it because not only were the games uh, entertaining, uh, they felt pretty informative too for for Ohio State's purposes in terms of teams they could potentially see down the road, which which I appreciated. I feel like sometimes Ohio State is off, and then the week of college football is just kind of like blah. But this week was was excellent from start to finish. It was informative, and I think that's the right word, especially when we're talking about the status of the rest of the Big Ten. Um, believe it or not, I think Illinois is a good football team, and I think Michigan's yes. a good football team, and I don't know that there's anyone else in the conference other than Ohio State that is. Uh, and, and that, I guess, yeah. is where we start when you're talking about um, Michigan and Penn State. I mean, that was sort of the the big game of the weekend in the conference, and I don't know if Penn State did exactly what I thought they were going to do or <laughs> if it was a complete shock because I don't know if Penn State was any good coming into the game. I didn't know if Michigan was any good coming into the game. Um, I leave that game thinking Penn State is not very good, but still that Michigan is. So, I mean, is it possible to feel both ways about that? Yeah, I, I think so. It was. I felt like I knew a little more about Penn State going into it because they did play Purdue on the road. They they played Auburn on the road, and Auburn's not very good, but it was they won an SEC game by a convincing margin uh, earlier in the year. So they had a, a, a more difficult probably body of work than Michigan had coming into that game. But um, I'm not surprised to come out of it thinking that Michigan is better. I'm surprised to come out of it thinking Michigan is better to, to the degree that I do because – uh, those are two teams that I think are pretty similarly talented, at least if you look at the at the talent composite. Uh, but Michigan is a way, 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 way better coach football team yeah. than Penn State is and like fully uh, aware of who it is and what it wants to be and how it wants to beat teams. And Penn State just kind of looks like it's rolling the ball out and uh, they got ran over. Yeah, I think that's actually the proper way to look at it. I think what we saw out of Michigan was a team that's fully leaning into its identity as a power-run football team. I don't think that's what Jim Harbaugh wanted to be heading into this season, but it seems to be their strength. And it's not a knock on J.J. McCarthy, who's only started four games in his career, and he's, he's obviously developing and getting better. But what it seems like they're doing uh, in Ann Arbor is making sure J.J. McCarthy doesn't cost them games. Uh, and at this point in the schedule – you can do it that way and just lean on the the backfield duo of Donovan Edwards um, and Blake Corum and just kind of run people over. And I think that's, you know, I thought Penn State would try to do something similar in this game against Michigan uh, just because the best offensive player on the Penn State's team is Nicholas Singleton, and he had six carries, and it seemed like they just completely uh, avoided giving him the ball, and I don't know exactly what that's about. 
it, it was astonishing a bit the the degree to which Penn State looked unprepared for this game on on both sides of the ball. Um, I I don't know what that is, especially they they were coming off an off week as well, and I guess James Franklin has been terrible in those situations. I hadn't, I had not realized how bad he was uh, until I saw him put up the graphic that said he was I believe I believe three and six coming off the bye. Uh, or the idle week, whatever you call it, at, at idle, Penn State, off, but anything but bye idle week. off, right, right, right. Um, but yeah, that to get six touches for Nick Singleton, um, other passing game like look very clunky. Um, they're they're just not very good yet up front, and like that's that's the thing we say every year about Penn State. Um, it's always kind of been an issue for them on the offensive line. I, I was a little surprised how bad they were on the defensive line. They were just getting mashed the entire game and. This had like really poor run fits, and it honestly, not to bring up bad memories for people, but I felt like I was watching the Michigan Ohio State game last year, which is the the ease at which Michigan was running the ball, getting offensive linemen to the second level, and running backs, you know, not getting touched until they're six or seven yards downfield, and then when they got to that point, you know, there was a safety in some place he wasn't supposed to be. So, um, just really out of sorts for Penn State, but I don't I don't say that to take away from Michigan because I think Michigan is a really good football team. Yeah, I think what was surprising to me in watching and and rewatching a little bit of that game on Sunday was that Penn State's linebackers and defensive line were completely just wiped out, and that is very. Uh, not what Penn State is about. And I think as we've talked the last few weeks about Ohio State and the trip to uh, Happy Valley on October 29th, like we've been expecting a physical game. And I don't know if Penn State can play a physical game if that's what they are. And I don't, again, I don't know if it's just because Michigan was just that much better prepared. If Penn State is missing some key guys, I'm not really sure if that was the case. I don't think that's the case. Um, So you just wonder like where, the things are going wrong because I know from following Penn State's recruiting, they have been outside of the last year a better recruiting program than Michigan has in the last six or seven years. So uh, it was shocking to see just how woefully outmanned and outmuscled they were up front. And Michigan went into that game with the mindset that they were just going to out tough Penn State. Um, and Penn State backed down very, very early. And you could, I mean, they got you know, major help for Michigan to get their two first half scores. And other than that, they just did nothing offensively and just looked like a guy, a team that had no clue. And I, you have to ask yourself if you're James Franklin, don't they have to just say, this is Drew Aller's team from here on out? Because you're not going to, your season is for all intents and purposes over with trying to win what you wanted to win in the big 10. Um, don't you have to just turn the program over to the young guys now? On, on one hand, I would say yes. On the other, I, I saw what happened to Christian Hackenberg when he played behind a bad offensive line there, and I would worry about similar thing happening with, with Drew Aller. Now, now this Penn State offensive line is not as bad as it was five, six years ago. They, ha- they have improved. They're just still – they're kind of average now as opposed to being terrible like they were early in James Franklin's tenure. But but I, I would probably even, even in light of that or in, in spite of that um, still play Drew Aller. Um, we just we know what Sean Clifford is, and he got hurt in this game, and that's why Aller came in. Supposedly, who knows what the extent of that injury might be? But I would I would hand it over to Drew. I would let Nick Singleton be more involved. To you know, two really good freshmen. Um, I think they have pretty good skill on the outside. It's just that the design is not great, and and the line doesn't let them get into the stuff that I think they want to get into. But um, it does feel like that 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 was a kind of a turning point in Penn State season, the way they lost that game. Um, but although I will say, was it 2016, they went to Ann Arbor and got destroyed um, and then came back and they beat Ohio State and Beaver Stadium and then ended up winning the, the conference that year, went to the Big Ten Championship and won that game. So I, I guess if you use it, if you use that 
uh, season to frame where they're at right now. Maybe maybe it's not over, but it certainly feels like it is. I just I just don't know what they have to hang their hat on or what they have left to play for other than trying to build for the future, um, which I think still looks pretty bright there with the way they've recruited. Yeah, I mean, they're still going to be a top three program in the Big Ten, but I, I don't know that you can count on Michigan losing another game this year to anyone other than potentially Ohio State. So I don't think you have that sort of wiggle room that they had in 2016 where Michigan was inconsistent. And, um, you know, Ohio State beat Michigan that year at the end of the year when Michigan was the best team in the conference that season and Ohio State somehow pulled off that double overtime win. So mm-hmm. it, it, I don't know that you're going to get that same sort of break, but I think for Penn State, like now you have to spin this forward and you have to go play another very physical team in Minnesota next week that is going to watch this film and say, oh, we know exactly what we can do against you. And this goes back to me to Penn State a year ago against Illinois when Penn State was playing a game. What that game went, what, seven overtimes or something uh, when Illinois won and and Illinois threw the ball like six times. So they just said, we're just going to run the ball right down your throat. Um, And I'm always constantly like, battling my own perception of what Penn State is based on how they play against Ohio State and the matchups that they seem to do fairly well in against Ohio State. But this just did not look like the same caliber of of toughness that I would have expected from Penn State. It wasn't. And it has been a weird thing to kind of square square most of Penn State's season with how well it typically plays against Ohio State. And maybe that'll happen again when, when they play in, in a couple of weeks. That, that'll be an interesting game because it's a new kickoff that was just announced over the weekend um Penn State now has a loss who knows what's going to happen next week against Minnesota like I I think that can be a drastically different environment than what Ohio State is accustomed to playing to at Beaver Stadium when they go up there for Halloween weekend we'll we'll see what that's like but um I just you know watching the way that they were not defending the run and seeing what I've seen of Ohio State's offense this year which which I think is a much better team running the football much more physical offense than they've been the last couple of years I just have a really hard time seeing how that goes Penn State's way because they, they do have a couple of individually talented guys on that defense like Joey Porter Jr. And, and Jair Brown I think are really good secondary players but it doesn't matter <laughs> if you're yeah. getting blown off the ball on every single play and Michigan's running for what was it 418 yards and at seven seven yards a pop like I think Ohio State is is just as capable of doing that as Michigan is yeah it was a lot of yards um, and, and it was a game that you just watch it and you go we think we've learned something about this team on the flip side of that in the SEC, because again, folks, Ohio State was off. This is the podcast daily for Monday, October 17th. We don't have a lot to talk about when it comes to the Buckeyes. So Bill and I are just reviewing our thoughts on on the two biggest games of the weekend. I, I, in the other one, obviously, Tennessee, Alabama. I've been kind of wondering if there's something wrong uh, in Tuscaloosa this year from the start. The, there seems to be a culture shift slash deficiency right now and i don't i don't know if i'm just completely reading into it too much but that team was as undisciplined uh as any nick saban team i've ever seen and i don't get the sense that a lot of the guys on their team like each other <laughs> and i don't know if you i don't know if you can pick that up on tv but i don't see a team that was like really like loving up on each other that's a back and forth great historically great game and i don't think alabama ever seemed like they were like interested in it really outside of Bryce Young. I didn't see a single player on their team that seemed like they were like invested or imploring the team to to get off the mat or anything like that. Yeah, I, I was prepared this year to see um like a Death Star kind of version of an Alabama team because they did not win the national title last year and they brought a fairly decent amount back from that team and including the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. And they have just they have not been that. Um 
I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know if there's a chemistry thing that's off with them or, or, or what I know they're, they're trying to strike the balance there between recruiting really well and, and bringing in guys from the portal to, to plug holes um, to a probably more aggressive extent than Ohio state is and trying to do the same thing. Uh, and maybe that's throwing things off there, but I, but I agree. It just never, they never really felt like cohesive. It was just when, when Alabama made plays, it was individual guys like out talenting people, which, you know, that, that can get you pretty far, I think. But, but Tennessee was game to kind of go blow for blow for them. And uh, especially on defense, because that's, you know, I think that's the first thing you think of when you think of Nick Saban. Um, I was shocked just how easily accessible shot plays were against that defense. Like Hendon Hooker is really good and probably is the Heisman Trophy favorite now after that game. Um, but he was just bombing on them a couple of times. Like there were two or three 60, 70 yard touchdowns against a, a Nick just wide open too. Yeah. Like that's, that was like to see 50 points and to see it happen that way. Um, was just kind of confounding to me knowing what I know about Nick Saban and the reputation he's built up. So yeah, there's, there's something to miss there for sure, but it is Alabama and the path is still there for them to control their own destiny. to get to the sec title game. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but they do yeah. seem vulnerable, more vulnerable than I thought they'd be. And I firmly believe if they run into Tennessee again in the big, in the SEC championship game, which is a possibility for them, like they will beat them. <laughs> I don't think that you'll see that happen again, but to watch what we watched a week ago against Texas A&M and, and a Texas A&M team that's not very good uh, and to see them. And that was obviously without Bryce Young, but they probably should have lost to Texas. Again, Texas is a fairly good team. They're getting better every week, but if they don't, if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt in that game, they, they win that game against Alabama. Uh, and, and you start to just wonder how much, the program suffers when you're not developing your own guys inside uh, on the offensive side of the ball, especially the skill positions. If, mm -hmm. if and this is two years in a row where their best players at, at skill positions are guys, they had to just go out and take from other programs. So you, you do wonder if there's something not there. And I, I'm again, I'm not saying Alabama won't win the national championship this year. It seems just as likely that they will because they win seemingly every other year, but uh, it seems like they are, stagnating a little bit when other programs around the country are uh, ascending. And I guess that's normal when you've been at the top for 20 years or however long it's been, but it definitely felt weird watching them in a game that you knew was going to be a hugely emotional game for Tennessee and Alabama just did not meet that at all. Like, and, and that speaks to how talented they are because they didn't really meet it at all and still were a 50 yard field goal away from, from winning it um, or, you know, a knuckleball that, I don't I don't know how the hell that kick went. Over yeah, that was, that was pretty weird. <laughs> but, you know, I think what I watched this weekend and then you see USC lose to Utah. I just think that this season and to bring it back to Ohio State, like if not this season, then when essentially is how I feel about Ohio State winning and Ryan Day winning this national championship this year, because they're going to be challenged against Michigan. We know that. They're going to have to play some good teams in the playoff. But there is no team out there that you look at and go, wow, that is a world beater, like Alabama was right. in 2020, like LSU was in 2019, like Ohio State, in my mind, was in 2019. Um, so I, I just I think this has to be the year for Ohio State. I mean, they have everything there. And now you have six weeks to go out and prove it. Yeah, I think I think you look around the country and you say, okay, who, who's complete or or closest to being complete? And I think you have to start with Ohio State. Like, I, I, like Georgia is very good, and Alabama is still probably pretty good. Um, I think Clemson's actually developing and becoming a much better team than they Clemson's were five coming years around. 
yeah, Clemson's definitely coming around for sure. Seems like they figured out something there with DJ to to unlock a little more offensively um, for for them. But but Ohio State's ability to throw it and run it, and what we've seen so far from Jim Knowles' defense leads me to believe that Ohio State is, is at the moment the most complete team in the country. Now, stiffer challenges await. They're going to play really good defense this week, and when they play Iowa, um, I still think like for, for everything we said about Penn State, like that's not a that's not a gimme game. Like I don't think Ohio State can just kind of show up there and go through the motions um, and and expect to pull out a win. And Penn State, for whatever reason, plays them really really tough, no matter what the situation is with both teams. So that's going to be a tough game too, I think. Um, and then Michigan is. I don't I don't know if Michigan's as good as they were last year, um, at least on defense. Maybe they might actually be a little better on offense than they were last year. Um, they should be. With J.J. With JJ McCarthy um, and the element that he brings with his playmaking. But um, that's going to be a really stiff challenge, too. So, so you know, ask me in four weeks if I think Ohio State's the most complete team in the country. But at the moment, I think that they are. So I'm, I'm with you there, too. It just it seems like it's setting up for them. They're, they're as talented as they've ever been, um, and they appear to be better coached um, than they have been kind of across the board um, than, than maybe they have been in the last two, three years. Um, so that adds up to me to an opportunity where Ohio state really needs to um, kind of lock in and realize what's at stake for them this year. Cause I think they're in really good position. Yeah, I, I agree. And another, you know, we'll, we're going to quickly pivot um, to another Ohio state program. That's in good position moving forward. Uh, Sunday, Chris Holtman picks up his first 2024 basketball commitment from uh, point guard, John Moba jr. Bill, I know you're a basketball guy. Like I am. Have you watched his film? Uh, like a very little bit, but he looks like a sniper. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> like just tell. likes to shoot the ball, man. Like he will <laughs> fire it up from anywhere. So, uh, very interesting decision as Ohio State projects ahead. Right now, that 2024 recruiting class probably only has room for two guys. Uh, obviously, attrition will happen, and and mm-hmm. some spots will open up. But for Holtman's program, like they they had the 22 class is probably. Probably his best class at Ohio State. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious when you look at Bryce Sensabaugh and, and Rodney Gale and what these guys can do. Uh, Rodney Gale, sorry. Um, and then the 23 class is very solid, top 10 in the country, according to Rivals.com. They're building something. I don't know if this year is going to be a good basketball team in Columbus. I think it'll be a fun basketball team in Columbus, but I, I, I think you can see that what Chris Holtman has been able to tell recruits over these last few months when you watch – the success of um, Jay Sean, uh, Jay Sean Tate, uh, when you see Dwayne Washington, when you see now EJ Liddell getting drafted, when you see, um, uh, you know, why is his name? Malachi Branham. Malachi Branham, his name just <laughs> flat out jumped out of my brain. Like you're starting to see these guys get developed and put into the NBA, and that makes all the difference in the world in, in basketball recruiting. And, and I, I think that we're – five years in now to the Chris Holtman experience in Columbus. I think we're just getting to the point where you're going to see what his best teams are going to be able to do. Might not be this year's team, but I feel confident like Gene Smith knows that also and realizes they're replacing 46 guys on the roster uh, and they're moving forward and, and ready to put together a different type of program. And it's fun to watch because I think this year's team's going to be a lot of fun. I think they're going to be really interesting. Um, it could be, maybe a little up and down in the beginning because they are going to play their young players quite a bit and their their non-conference schedule is tough. But I think, I think the recruiting run that they're on right now, um, maybe, maybe if you're like a casual basketball fan who, you know, checks in in March and thinks to yourself, well, why isn't Ohio state better at the end of the year? And then you see how they're recruiting. Maybe the two things don't, don't quite match up for you. Um, the player development for Ohio state basketball, I think has been like very good and probably not talked about <laughs> enough. 
Um, and really during Chris Holtman's entire tenure, like I, you can probably count on one hand, the guys over the course of, of Chris Holtman's now was a five years here that, that have not gotten better every year. Um, and now they're getting guys in the NBA they're leaving the program ready to be stellar professional basketball players, even if they're not lottery picks, um, yeah. even if they're guys that have to go the route that Jay Sean Tate went where he went to Australia and then went to the NBA or Dwayne Washington, who, who was undrafted and got a two way contract and made his way to the NBA. Like, but the guys are leaving here prepared to play professional basketball. Um, and that's a really strong selling point for Ohio state right now. And, and maybe, um, that's something that has to maybe precede success in March. And, and I think that it will, but, uh, I think this program's in a pretty strong place. Yeah. I mean, the, the cold reality of basketball is that better players make for a better team. Um, and, and if you look back over the, the Chris Holtman era, if you go back to especially his first real recruiting class was the EJ Liddell and Alonzo Gaffney, um, DJ Carton, like those were high ceiling kids, but. I don't think that they were nearly as emotionally or mentally ready to play college basketball as this 22 group is with Sensabaugh, um, with Gale. Uh, I, I think that with Felix Okapar, like this is a much better group as far as an emotional strength to it. And so like Buckeyes fans, the cynical ones, I think will be like, oh, we saw this before and all those guys left after one year because they didn't play. I think that this year, because you don't have a returning core group of players, you're going to see a more willing Chris Holtman to say, hey, we're going to run the young guys out there and just see what happens. So I think you're going to run into some games where that is extremely frustrating and they look awful. And then you're going to see other games when they look like, wow, this team could really be special in in a year or two. So it's going to be a interesting combination this year. But one thing we do know is that they're recruiting at a very high level, uh, and that's only going to continue to get better as more guys get developed and put into the NBA. Yeah, and they're they're um I think the one criticism of the program that I that I do, you know, actually think is correct is uh they've not been dynamic enough at the guard position, um, particularly the point guard position. Um and I don't know if John Mobile is gonna play point guard or not, maybe he's more of a combo, but but with Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale in this class, Taysan Chapman in the class after that, and now now this commitment, um, they seem to be addressing that need probably about as well as you could be. So that yeah. that's a position that looks pretty promising in the future. Mobley's originally from Columbus. He's only like six foot and 165 pounds right now. Obviously, he's going to have to get stronger physically. But as I said, this kid shoots it from anywhere. One uh, one source close to Ohio State told me that he is the best evaluated point shooting point guard that Chris Holtman's ever evaluated. So if you think of it from that perspective and think like that, that's high praise, they, they have a, a lot of expectation on this kid to come in and be a, a dangerous shooting type. Um, I mean, watch the film if you guys can, um, America. You're going to want to see it. It's very Steph Curry-ish, just a kid mm-hmm. just un, unafraid to pull up from anywhere. Uh, very quick release. has played out of Bishop Gorman the last two years, moved out to Las Vegas uh, in 2020, thinking that Ohio may not have basketball because of COVID, and then moved to Vegas to play out there, and then their season got canceled instead. So that's fun. That's the way it works out, though. You Sometimes <laughs> you bet on yourself and lose in Las Vegas. So. <laughs> anything else on this episode of the podcast daily billion well uh, at the risk of like circling all the way back to the beginning I, let's do I it i do feel like we, we did talk a lot about penn state and not so much about michigan um and i realized they 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 play penn state before they play michigan and there'll be time to talk about michigan um but i'm just kind of curious like what are your what are your thoughts on them right now like there's still a few weeks before that game but how do you feel about how michigan stacks up i mean i i think they're a legitimate top five program in the country right now i don't think that anyone should argue that i i think that clearly they're trying to grow 
JJ McCarthy into the offense and not try to uh, build the offense around him, which is probably smart. I think Matt Weiss, the, the quarterback's coach up there, has done a nice job with him. One thing that Michigan does so well because they're running the ball so effectively, because they're able to control the line of scrimmage, is that when J.J. does get a chance to to turn it loose, it's often in, in play-action situations, and they find yeah. very open receivers when they do that. So um, I'm just looking ahead. I don't think their defense is as good as it was, but they're opportunistic. They create turnovers. They don't have that Aiden Hutchinson or David Ajabo type of edge rusher, although uh, EOB, the the kid from uh, the transfer from – originally from Alabama, uh, who then went to Sam Houston State or something, and he's made an impact. But I don't see the secondary strength that uh, is going to be needed to really slow down Ohio State the way that they did last year. Um, where you're missing some some key components, but uh, I think we're le- I think we're heading into a absolute classic on November 26th. I really think this is one of the best four or five teams in the country. Yeah, I I feel that way as well. Um, I the the things that Michigan was able to do last year that gave Ohio State problems are are probably not as heightened this year as they were a year ago. At least on the defensive side, like I yeah. just I just don't think they're going to be able to get after C.J. Stroud the way they did last year. But that running game and that offensive line are legit. Yeah, um, they, they are and, better up there. They're better up front offensively than they were a year ago. And now you have Donovan Edwards uh, to complement Blake Corum. And both of those guys, and I know it's going to sound stupid considering Hassan Haskins ran for 225 yards and five touchdowns, both those guys are better than Hassan Haskins. So uh, it, it does provide a different type of challenge. And that is going to be a game when Jim Harbaugh walks into Ohio Stadium and says, we're going to hit you in the mouth. Are you going to do the same? Or are you going to be born on third base? And, and <laughs> I know Ryan Day has got it circled on the calendar, but it, you know that team, it, that team is a good team and not just some team beating up on also runs in the Big Ten. Yeah, I'm super excited. I mean, there's there's stuff to be done. It, it is interesting because you mentioned Illinois at the beginning. Uh, Michigan plays Illinois the week before it plays Ohio State, and that to me sounds like a potential like body blow kind of game for Michigan. Like it's not a it's not a let's just breeze through this thing and get to the Ohio State game. Like Illinois is is physical and really good. Yeah, where Ohio where Ohio Big State will be playing at Maryland, uh, <laughs> yeah. potentially without Talier uh, Tonga Viola and that will not be a game that has as much of a body blow feeling. So that is something that's it's you just watch it. I mean, I, you look at again, Penn state having to go play Minnesota next week, you know, that sort of offsets Ohio state having to play against Iowa, in my opinion, because both teams are going to be similar um, face a similar style of, of game plan. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Ohio state, obviously what 27 and a half point favorites over Iowa. Um, yeah. it, it, it's, it's a big stretch for Ohio State here to get healthy and to stay healthy uh, as you head in November because that game against Michigan, I think we're talking 2016-2006 type of absolute classic. And we're going to talk about the Iowa game at some point this week, starting at Roosters on Olentangy River Road about 1130 um, on Monday afternoon. If you want to join us there, please do. Um, we'll be back in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center for a normal week of coverage on the podcast. You can find Bill, myself, and Austin Ward over at ohiostate.rivals.com. That is the Dotting the Eyes website that we are so proud to be affiliated with. And uh, I got nothing else, Bill. I know we want to talk about you know the Phillies, but we'll talk about that off off the air because yeah, I don't want to tell all the Philly fans out there like <laughs> myself and, and you uh, how how you were so very, very certain that there's no way they would beat the Braves. Uh, in a series and that i know that it's not not done yet but they're getting there 
and I know you getting a little you're getting a little uh, peakish getting a little peakish talking about it Phillies Bill uh anything else go Phils go Phils uh we'll talk to you guys tomorrow see ya